0: Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smichael, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. Okay, is anybody besides me sick of pointless, poorly managed meetings? Not only do I feel like they waste my time, I feel like they drain my energy. And that's energy that I could be using for way more productive work. I feel like death by meetings has only gotten worse in this virtual world. We're going to spend a little time on making meetings more meaningful, especially since most of us are drowning in meetings. Let's save ourselves from being slayed by more meetings. If you're in a leadership role, take responsibility for preserving time and energy by having purposeful meetings. And I mean only purposeful meetings. Let's start with the basics. Please don't have a meeting just because you always meet about a topic or a subject. Have a meeting because there's something significant or substantive to address. I hate habit meetings. You know, They have these meetings just because they always have them and they've always had them and they always had them. Could you break that trend by only having meetings that are necessary? If you've ever been a client or been a part of any group that I've facilitated, you know that I am nuts about norms. The most effective meetings have clear norms for interactions. In this virtual world, One of those norms should be turn on your darn camera. I mean, really, we need to see each other if we're going to stay connected. It's important to maintain some degree of connectedness. So turn on your camera. Yeah, that may mean you have to comb your hair, straighten up your office. Um, It may mean that you have to put clothes on. But it also means that we won't keep growing further and further apart because of the lack of physical presence and connectedness. There are lots and lots of other norms that can enhance your meetings. One of them is time limits. That means that a 30 minute meeting will only last 30 minutes unless there's a really compelling reason for going over. And compelling is not that you love the sound of your own voice, compelling has to be directly linked to the business at hand. As I talk about time limits, I have to tell you, I am a big believer that. More than 90 minutes is too long for a virtual meeting. I really believe that. Break it up. Break it up into multiple meetings. Now, I know I'm contradicting myself because that means more meetings. But breaking it up increases the likelihood that people can focus and stay engaged. I also believe that you need breaks during 90-minute meetings. Encourage people to get up and move Bodies are supposed to be in motion, so encourage movement. One of the norms that I love is focus. Stay on task, stay on track, control the drifts. Now, I'm not saying that you don't want new ideas and input, but you still need to have focus on whatever your purpose happens to be. We waste so much time in meetings when the person who convenes the meeting allows themselves or other people to go all afield, all afar in the discussion. If something's important or interesting but unrelated, and I know that those kind of topics do come up, table them for later. Stay true to the purpose of the meeting that you're there to address. Other norms, and like literally there are hundreds that you can use, I like active participation. I like confidentiality. I like consensus testing. Invite participants to join in the formation of the norms. Don't impose them. Now, if you listen to me a lot, you've heard me say this before. Norms enable us to operate from shared agreement about how we'll interact with each other. Let me repeat that. Norms enable us to operate from shared agreement about how we'll interact with each other. It's really easy for people to get lost, especially in the virtual meeting world. Be sure that you invite participation from the more quiet people. That applies in face-to-face meetings as well. Do not let the loudest voice dominate. Sometimes they're loud, long, and wrong. As you're planning your meetings, especially when you're pulling together people from other parts of the business or from other organizations, think about this. There are always going to be people who are wedded to the task, and they're great. They can initiate very focused discussion. They often share very insightful opinions. They can elaborate on and clarify the key issues, but they can also be very myopic. They can squash new ideas and innovations. Pay attention to the people who are overly focused on getting things done. Things done in haste seldom reflect high quality and they often can't be sustained. Now, you've undoubtedly noticed the process-oriented people. They want everything to go smoothly, so they help you, the leader, and everyone else pay attention to the process to how things flow, and to what emerges. What I really like about having process-oriented people in meetings is that they encourage movement. They encourage forward momentum. They seem to promote compromise more than task-oriented people. They encourage others so that the process is fluid, the meeting moves, and something gets accomplished, but in a way that really honors the human element. Now you know, and I know, that no meeting is complete without the blockers. We all know them. Some blocking behavior includes topic jumping, and that takes me back to the need for focus. The people who go from this to that to the other, they're often not even aware of how distracting and how annoying that is. They don't even recognize the fact that it impedes progress. And it's not likely that they're doing it with malicious intent. Sometimes it's just how they process information, but they still have to be reined in. Other blocking behavior includes the person who just won't shut up and listen. They dominate the airtime, they drone on and on and on, if you let them. If you're leading the meeting, set norms that will make it clear that all voices need to be heard. But I have another thing to say about if you're leading the meeting. Don't you be the one who won't shut up and listen. Control yourself. I'm going to move from the people because we all know them. I want to talk about five important things that can make your meetings more meaningful and can really make your meetings matter. I hit on one earlier, and that's purpose. And that's the starting point. Why have you gathered? What are your objectives? Is this just a habit meeting or do you have something to accomplish? The second thing I want you to do is to create some sort of structure. You need a time parameter, you need an agenda, things like that. They create the structure that I'm talking about. You may decide that regular short check-ins are a part of the structure. You may consider the fact that reviewing the norms is really important in the structure. You may want to decide on roles and responsibilities or rotate who leads the meeting if it's a regular gathering. I don't know what structure you're going to come up with. Test it and allow it to be refined with input from other people. When we start to think about agendas, I'm going to tell you that I have a real bias towards collaboratively created agendas. I'm not telling you that the agenda should be a free-for-all. I am saying that it shows respect for other people when you send out a draft agenda and invite their input. I was on faculty at a university and we had an absolute egomaniac department chair. (sighs) She'd send out these agendas for our monthly meetings as if she alone knew what needed to be discussed and addressed. That got on my nerves. And let me tell you what else she did. They really used to get on my nerves. So we're in the meeting, and she would call on us like we were in the third grade. Joanne, it's your turn to check in. Charles, it's your turn to check in now. Ugh, that got on my nerves. Anyway, now I'm venting. But they were really dreadful meetings for a lot of reasons. So demonstrate respect for the intellect, the insights, the ideas of other people by inviting them into the process of creating an agenda. I know that this doesn't work for every meeting, for every topic, or every issue. But what I'm saying is that when you can invite input, do it. The third point is to focus on outcomes. That may mean developing new systems. It may mean solving a problem. It may mean developing action steps or strategies for future work. Whatever it means for your meeting, be sure that the intended outcomes are made clear at the start. When the discussion goes astray, you're better able to redirect people and turn things around when people are aware that there was an outcome that was intended. The fourth point I want to make is all about barriers. What are the spoken and the unspoken barriers that can get in the way of a successful meeting and good outcomes? You know, sometimes the barriers are perceptual. People just don't think that the meeting is worthwhile or the topic is substantive. Other barriers are environmental. I see that a lot with Zoom fatigue. People are just over it with looking at screens and trying to connect. When we're face-to-face, environmental barriers can include anything from power differentials to personal histories to space constraints to room temperature to any number of other things that impact how people feel physically during the meeting. Perceptual barriers are about how they feel emotionally and psychologically as well. The fifth thing I want you to consider is try asking participants to critique the meeting. This requires a lot of trust, and people are only going to give you their honest opinions if they trust you as the leader. But I think it's important to invite feedback on ways to make the meetings more valuable and more productive. I use this thing called a plus delta analysis when I'm working with groups. At the end of a session, we will do a list of pluses, the things that went well, and a list of deltas, the things that need to change for next time. And typically when I first start this, when I'm working with a new group, people are kind of nervous and they're like, ooh, I better only tell her the pluses. I better only tell her the things that went well. And I sometimes have to convince them that, "Uh, listen, I'm not that fragile. Tell me the things that you need to change so that we can change them so that our gatherings have significance to you because it's not about me, it's really about you. So you might wanna try the plus delta analysis. Now, I know you thought that I was finished because I said I had five things and I just told you the fifth one, but I'm not finished yet. I have some more stuff that I wanna share. So let's say that you are gathering ideas in one of your meetings, and that means that you need to know how to facilitate brainstorming. And again, people are only going to participate in brainstorming if they trust you, the leader. The first thing you want to do for brainstorming is to set the stage by saying that this is not a debate. We're only here to generate ideas. That means that you're going to capture people's ideas exactly as they share them. Don't put your spin on it and don't edit Okay, so remember I was telling you about that annoying department chair? Well, this was another thing that got on my nerves. She always had to edit and reshape our brainstormed ideas. Eventually, it just became what she wanted to say. So uh, you can obviously guess that our participation was very, very low. Another guideline for a productive brainstorming session is to ask people what seems impossible. Ask people to share their wildest dreams. What we want to create in brainstorming is truly expansive thinking. We want to move into new realms of possibility. So brainstorming. Don't evaluate. Don't debate. Include any and every idea. Encourage expansive thinking. And that's all I want to say about that. As you're moving through the meeting, not a a brainstorming session, an actual meeting, okay? Be sure you have enough time to explore the ideas and the issues that come up. That means that you began with a realistic agenda. Do not try to do too much. Just focus on what's most essential. An important component of exploration is seeking clarity. Don't make the assumption that you or everyone else knows what a person means. Get clarity. Invite people to explain their position, to explain their points, to explain their ideas, and don't cut them off unless, as I said earlier, they're taking up too much airtime. So that's a delicate balance. So that's it. I'm finished. The tips I want you to remember are to have a purpose. Don't just meet to meet. Don't just meet because it's a meeting that you always have. Make sure that the purpose and the meaning guide any gathering. Set some norms to establish a framework. Remember, there's all kinds of people, all kinds of participants. Some are task-oriented, others are process-oriented, and there's just about everybody in between. Pay close attention to the behaviors that are productive and those that are unproductive. And you as the leader should not be contributing to the unproductive behaviors, so get a grip on yourself. Don't forget to establish structure and focus on outcomes. Nobody wants to feel like you just wasted their time. Inviting participants to critique the meeting takes trust, but it will improve the quality of your meetings and it will ensure that the meetings meet the needs of the people involved. I already gave you the ideas for effective brainstorming, so I hope you'll try them. Meetings do not have to be stressful annoyances that keep us from getting our work done. They can be productive and meaningful. So if you're the leader, it's up to you to make sure that your meetings matter. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.